Hello, and welcome to Adventurous Polyamory, the podcast where we rip the shrink wrap off of non-monogamy and get into the messy reality of our lifestyle. I'm Rachel Barth, your hostess with the mostest. I'm here to open up a big old can of truth and honesty about the joys and pitfalls of polyamory. Welcome back, my darlings. I've been waiting a bit to work on this episode because I didn't want to speak too soon. Divorce is a lot to digest, and I was waiting for all the paperwork to be done as well. It's a lot. It really is. Let me see. Well, the negatives first, I guess. Divorce in polyamory tends to be very public. I guess that's true in monogamy as well. People are going to know. And since your social circle is small within the community, you probably won't be able to avoid your ex. Depending on the overall tone of your divorce proceedings, this can be very painful. Sometimes it can be funny or bittersweet. I was at karaoke Friday night, and I saw my ex for the first time in about three months. Our paperwork had concluded only two days previous. He showed up at karaoke with a large crowd in tow. And they all had t-shirts, like at a family reunion. Their t-shirts said, Divorce Party Squad. Norm's t-shirt said, I used to be married, but I got better. They had cupcakes and took squad pics lined up like in wedding photos. My friends were all like, Oh, honey, are you okay? It was a little rough for a minute. I didn't really know how to feel. I mean, was I supposed to be like Maleficent at the christening of Sleeping Beauty? The uninvited evil? Was I supposed to dramatically flounce around sobbing? Did they intend to hurt me, or was it merely thoughtless? Was I allowed to have a cupcake? I mean, it was my divorce, too. Cupcakes! I don't know, Norm had about 10 or 12 people gussied up in these shirts. I didn't have any squad with me, just John. For a moment there, it all felt like the sad middle part of a teen movie from the 80s. But you know what? I couldn't be too salty. I mean, I'm, I'm happy about the divorce myself. Why shouldn't they have a little party? I might have one myself after all. Probably won't bother with t-shirts though. My metamor, the Amazon, already gave me a bottle of champagne with a couple of glasses that you freeze so they keep the beverage nice and cold, plus some really good chocolate. John, who is a marketing professional, immediately came up with some t-shirt slogans himself. However, they were so cruelly and hilariously on the nose that I can't even include them here. It's typical polyamory, isn't it? You can't avoid the scene of the crime or the other people involved. You can't just pretend nothing happened. The polyamory self-work spotlight just goes right on shining on you. You can't just hide in your cave and lick your wounds. There's all these other people 
who love you and keep coming around to love you and make sure you're okay. You have to find a way to move past it and be at peace with the changes. This can be incredibly challenging. I feel pretty lucky that my divorce wasn't a surprise. I had a long time in advance to gradually accept it and find a new mindset. When it's a surprise, sometimes the devastated spouse will need a long time to recover. And sadness is like pickles. It won't get less sour or turn into a fresh cucumber just because you pretend it's not there. It'll still be there, patiently waiting, until you are ready to eat that whole entire sour, face-puckering thing. That is the only way to clear the plate. And when it comes to your feelings, honey, you know you got to ingest and digest every last bit of it. Sadness, guilt, shame, mmm, yum, 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 yum. Ain't that the terrible truth? We can never really avoid feeling our painful feelings. We might take refuge in substances or maybe food or casual sex. Uh, not, not that I would know anything about that, of course. Hmm. Here I was trying to talk about negatives, but now I'm not so sure. Is it a negative? Maybe it's just uncomfortable. I don't know. Now, one feature of divorce in such an intimate community is the people won't even pretend they aren't watching. For a while, people would message me randomly about Norm's social media posts or his girlfriend Greta's posts. Did you see what she posted? Here's a screenshot! Those guys had me blocked and I was fine with it. But apparently, y'all wanted me to know what was up. I appreciated the support, though I'm not totally certain it was helpful. Again, is this a negative or a positive feature? I really don't know. Your mileage may vary, y'all. There was moments where I was so tempted to post a comment or two, and moments when I was outraged or a little hurt. But somehow, I managed to restrain myself. I know that they are doing their best to live as if I don't exist. And who am I to mess that up for them? I certainly won't be sending them postcards from my vacations now, will I? Although now I say that out loud, the idea has a certain merit. You can't see it, but I'm stroking my imaginary beard like a proper villain here. Lately, I noticed that Norm and Greta have unblocked me again. At first, I was confused about that, but then I realized they'd have to unblock me in order to see what I might be posting. I've been doing my best to keep it bland. Although I suppose they could be listening to this podcast, in which case they pretty much know all my feels. The most difficult thing for me was how people from outside our community would ask, Do you think this happened because of polyamory? I had to really think about it. The thought is really scary and upsetting. Did I cause my divorce? Should I have chosen differently? Would my marriage still exist intact if I'd left it alone, monogamous? There's no reset button. We don't get to play the level over and get more points. 
so I couldn't say for sure. But the issues we ran into all existed before we ever opened our marriage. Some existed quite obviously, in particular Norm's tendency to spend all his time looking at his laptop and his phone. He always just acted as if he was too busy to pay attention to me. But he wasn't. It was just video games half the time. Then there's my tendency to try to deal with everything unilaterally because I'm so timid about bringing things up for discussion. I actually took us into marital therapy way back in maybe 2005 for this very issue. In my heart, I thought, Norm had absolutely nothing to say to me. When our kids are grown, we won't have anything to talk about at all, and I'll die of boredom, and we'll get divorced. And when we got into therapy, I literally could not bring myself to say that. I was too scared to speak up. It would be another eight years until we chose non-monogamy. All these dovetailing problems still existed by that time, of course. And I don't think I was wrong back in the day. Norm's total lack of interest in paying attention to me was just about enough to kill the marriage all by itself. And I'm sorry to say that my general reticence about bringing up problems is still very much a feature. I'm very slow to bring things up in general. Since I'm pretty mellow about almost everything after 25 years as the mother of a person with autism, my standard of what constitutes something worth getting excited over is pretty high at this point. But after I've aired my concerns, I get very frustrated if I have to bring something up more than once or twice. Then something potentially toxic happens. See, a mother has to control and guide their child. And this means that occasionally she has to manipulate the child. Particularly as a child gets older and larger, a mom pretty much has to rely on manipulation at times. It sounds less unsavory if you call it Jedi mind tricks. This stuff is fine while you're bringing up a child. In theory, you're supposed to quit it gradually as they truly grow up, until eventually you have a healthy relationship between people with equal amounts of personal power. However, after many years as a parent, it's easy to pick up bad habits. And so, I must confess that frequently, when someone isn't doing what I want, my first reaction is to plot how to manipulate and control them. I realize that saying this is potentially toxic is really putting it too kindly. The sad truth is, when faced with a setback in my relationship, there's a part of me that says, Hey, look at this bullshit. Now I gotta get out my tool bag on this jackass. And I lose motivation to keep discussing it like a mature adult. Because I think to myself, well, this is pointless. This person's not going to listen and not going to do what I need them to do. If I bring it up again, it'll just be 30 minutes of my life. I'll never get back and then it'll still be unsuccessful. And then I decide to just regard their recalcitrant behavior as a feature that must be worked around. At which point there's really nothing to be gained by discussing it further. I don't go out in my yard and discuss how annoying all this humidity is, do I? It ain't going to do any good. And of course, I hate it when people give me criticisms and tell me all the ways I've fucked up so much. 
half the time I'm just like, really? You're pissing me off and darkening my day over this crap? Why? Just, uh, just stop. I get so mad. And then, of course, I feel very self-righteous, too. Like, hey, here I've been tolerating your idiocy in such a kind and saintly manner. Meantime, you're going to poke me in the eye over this trivial shit? How dare you? This little complex here is only one of my own persistent social or behavioral issues. And, as you can see, it's both highly developed and potentially very much a pain in the ass. Very much potentially toxic. What's more, it's got a special quality different from other personal issues. If I were, say, an alcoholic, this would be fairly visible to my partners. They would see it and understand that I had a problem and that I ought to get treatment. And they would gently, or maybe vigorously, urge me to find help. But this problem is not easily visible. All my partners will see is that I don't bring up problems. This feels nice to them. What a lovely, relaxing relationship this must be. In order to understand that I have a problem, they'd have to first see that they did some dumb shit and then see that I, weirdly, didn't say anything about the dumb shit they did. That's really asking too much of them, isn't it? It's my job to speak up, and I persistently tend to not do it. Like I said, a serious pain in my ass. Another problem Norm and I have had all along is, I'm terrible at asking for help, and he's terrible at noticing where he could help without being asked. Actually, I'm noticing a little theme here. Seems like my issues seem to cluster around a certain inability to speak up for myself. Can't bring up even legitimate concerns for discussion. Can't ask for help. Did I mention I'm also bad at initiating sex? I'm bad at even knowing my own needs half the time. I've had all of these issues forever. I really cannot blame them on polyamory. If I had to put on my armchair psychologist hat, I'd say that this is simply a leftover from childhood. My parents took good care of me and were lovely in general. Like most parents, though, they were not particularly interested in my opinions. Well, I can't complain, but I've had these issues all my life. When my daughter was growing up, I took extra care to encourage her to have opinions and tell them to me. The result was that she wore only a particular type of dress with matching leggings from the Hannah Anderson catalog for about, I don't know, two or three years straight. This was amusing for me. Also, she was cute as a button in that dress. But today, she has the confidence that I lacked, so I am proud about it. Anyway, I got distracted there. But seriously, the most we could say is that polyamory shone the self-work spotlight on our issues and made them unavoidable. I was perfectly happy to let Norm have all the opinions in the family. But polyamory made that unworkable pretty quickly. Or here's another one. My longing for the attention he couldn't give me might have just stayed on the back burner had I not been forced to see him give that attention to others. It would never have occurred to me that I wanted him to cook for me had I not seen him cook for someone else. 
and his need to feel like the most important person, the only person whose opinions mattered, would not have been challenged so directly if we'd stayed mono. Instead, we'd have just limped along with a relationship where it was always all about paying attention to him, and I never brought it up on account of my own reticence. I'd have stayed busy with my own stuff, and he'd have been able to get my attention whenever he wanted it and ignored me happily the rest of the time, and we would both have accepted this as normal. We'd also both have continued under the happy supposition that our lukewarm sex life was fine. But instead, we both had to watch the other person be on fire with desire for someone else and not all that excited about our own charms. Polyamory wasn't the cause of these issues either. But it's fair to say that it exposed them to a lot of sunlight. So no. In the end, I don't think that polyamory can be the culprit. I am the true culprit. And he is the other true culprit. I think even if we were mono, we'd probably still be getting divorced. Or worse yet, not getting divorced, but simply enduring a dried-out life. We both deserve better than that. We have a lot of life yet, you know. We both deserve to have lives full of vivid, brilliant experiences, not the faded-out situation we had. Hmm. Once again, I'm sort of trying to talk about a negative thing, and it's really not sounding that negative. It's Maybe I'm just a Pollyanna. I don't know. Well, on to some positives about divorce and polyamory, if we're not going to call the preceding things positives, I guess. You're a lot less likely to lose all your friends when you get divorced in polyamory. It's pretty typical in monogamy for divorce to rob you of a lot of your social circle. Since women tend to be the keepers of the monogamous social life, it's more frequently the man who loses not only his family, but also his whole social life. That's pretty awful. I'm not totally sure what Norm would say here, though. Would he feel that he's lost friends? Would he say that those people were never his friends? I've seen him vigorously kick friends out of his life for his own reasons. Maybe he wouldn't even regard it as a loss. I think it's fair to say here that there's probably some people who don't speak to Norm anymore. The same is true for me. There's people who don't have much to say to me. But we still move in the same circles. No one has been ejected from the community at all. So I never had to feel as if I were losing everything, being cast out of my own life. And, as previously discussed, I mean, Norm got more than 10 people to show up and wear funny t-shirts for him, so clearly he hasn't lost his social life either. One positive for me has been the overall level of support. It was really nice to have people close to me who have been through divorce themselves and had good advice for me. In particular, the divorce lawyer I used was recommended to me by the Amazon. Shout out to Mike Sinead! You are the best, man. Thank you for everything. I will include Mike Sine's contact info in the show notes 
since it's awfully likely one of you out there will need it. It was also a huge benefit that I didn't have to keep explaining things. My partners knew the whole story. People from our community came to help me move, too, including at least one of Norm's exes. I found that pretty funny. Just knowing that I had all these people here for me made such a difference. Honestly, I felt very loved in spite of the circumstances. I'm really glad that after the last couple of years, we're finally getting to the point where it's okay to have a dinner party again, because I owe a lot of kind people some dinner. Perhaps with cupcakes? It's weird to say it, but if I had to get divorced, I don't think I could do better than this overall. One of the most painful things about divorce and monogamy is the loss of the love you spent so much effort on. You will find yourself alone in a brand new life. A lot like your old life, except you're poorer financially, emotionally, and socially. Sometimes even spiritually, since your divorce may not be well accepted in your faith organization. So then you lose your church, maybe even your whole religion, along with nearly everyone you know, maybe even some of your own family of origin. Polyamory mitigates a lot of that. I mean, it won't protect you from institutional disapproval. But if you manage to get through coming out, then most of that is already behind you. And... It's a little easier to have all that negativity if you're choosing it for what you consider to be a good cause. It's not so great if you didn't choose it and didn't want that divorce either. How would it have been for me? I didn't want to get divorced, and the losses could have been severe. But to be fair, this time the institutional disapproval is all in Norm's court, his conservative family is not feeling the polyamory, and I don't envy Greta at all stepping into that situation. Although, on the other hand, she once told one of Norm's oldest friends to get the cock out of your ass, and followed that up with a cheerful, oh, walk it off, bless your heart. So, maybe Norm's family is the ones who should be afraid. I seriously wish I could be a fly on the wall for that dinner party. Oh my fucking God, it would be totally worthy of a Real Housewives episode. Real Housewives of Polyamory. I kind of hope she tears them all a new one. Couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of folks. Ooh, okay, but I digress. Back to my topic. In polyamory, I didn't have to face being single and alone at 52. I am a light-hearted person, and I do not take dating seriously at all. But even to me, that sounds daunting. I see my peers who are looking for an actual spouse or a big tent pole partner, and they are just not really enjoying that process at all. It was very painful to lose my marriage, but I had my partners to keep my heart warm despite all that. Plus... Forgive me for being a little graphic here. It really helps a lot if you are getting to have a lot of really good sex while you are being non-consensually reorganized in the marriage department. It calms me down a lot. I realize it sounds like I might be joking here, but I'm not. Having a healthy and, dare I say it, vigorous sex life 
will go a long way to assuaging your anxieties and fears. I don't have to fear losing love. I have plenty of love. I don't have to feel as if my best years are gone and now I'm too old and no one will ever want me. In fact, I know that I am wanted and loved. I don't have to sleep alone unless I darn well want to. And that is truly a blessing. Well, I think I better lay off for now. So thank you for listening. If you have issues you want to hear about on this podcast, or you need advice, or you think you might like to appear as a guest here, I want to hear from you. Please get in touch with me at unlimitedheartcoaching at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at unlimitedheartfreedom. As always, I am available for coaching sessions, and if you feel you could use some help, please get in touch with me for a free exploratory session. I appreciate you all so very much, and I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks.